Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. My assignment is to continue your series through the book of Nehemiah. And I love the book of Nehemiah because it's practical. Um, it's about the walls being built physically, but it also has spiritual implications and principles for us in how we are to live. And we've heard most likely that uh, we're dealing with types of, so we're, we're dealing with themes and principles that are physical in nature, but certainly help us as we grow spiritually. And so I feel to talk about the topic this morning, uh, and Joe might be following me this morning, but uh, the theme and the, the title that I want to give this morning is certainly this, when God wants to restore, when God wants to restore, and no doubt uh, we would uh, have been summarising this morning perhaps what you've already heard uh, over the last few weeks, and I'll throw in some new ideas and, and hopefully edge us forward. But I, I just do want to pray that that uh, and just that that God would seal uh, His word in our hearts. So we just bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you've determined the exact places where we live and dwell, and Father, we thank you that you're not so far from us this morning so that we can reach out and find you. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we just get the sense this morning as we've been in praise and worship and prayer, we get the sense that you're ready and Father, you're preparing our hearts to be ready and we're believing that as we are both aligned together and we say amen to your word that you'll bring about and accomplish your purposes. And Father, we thank you for your promise where you said that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I pray that this morning will be a step forward to seeing that promise realised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is on mission and His agenda is to save the world. God is the great missionary God where He sent forth His Son Jesus to us and Jesus willingly came to us and gave himself up for us so that we can live life. And so when we're talking about the word restore, if you're all with me, the word synonymous with restore could be renew or redeem, or it could be rebuild. These words which speak about God getting hold of humanity and bringing us back to our original condition and for the purposes in which we've been made. I love the book of Nehemiah because it speaks about how God wants to restore His people in how He wants to realign His people so that His people would be realigned to see His mission outworked. It's a picture for the believer and the church today. And yes, we're talking about physical walls, but I trust that as we hear it, that the Spirit of God may take these words and bring about spiritual understanding to us so that we can lay hold of all that God has for us. The first point that stands out when God wants to restore, and if you cast your mind back to several weeks ago when you came through this, Nehemiah chapter one, it's on the screen. When God wants to restore, He will move someone. He will move someone. So you know, it was a period in history where 
God in His mercy and in His justice and in His holiness and in His love and only in a way that God can do because He's the only wise one among us was sending His prophetic word through His people to the nation of Israel and He was calling them to repentance and calling them back to His name, His character, back to the way that they were intended to live. You might recall the words where God said, hey, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we know that he's a jealous God. And God was determined for his people to be blessed so that they could be a blessing for a lost and dying world. But we know the story, don't we? They thumbed their noses up at God and and God chose them not because they were great in number, but because they were a stiff-necked people and arrogant. And God, He he sent forth His prophets and He tried to get a message through, but they wanted to do their own thing. And God, in His mercy, picked them up by the collar, raised up a superpower, being the Assyrians and the Babylonians and later on other nations, foreign nations, and He took them out and off into exile. A tragic story, but nevertheless, all part of God's plan to bring His people back to Himself. You know the story. And it was in that time that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. And what a, what a promoted position, a privileged position, a responsible position, because he was to ensure that the king's food and the king's drink was not poisoned so that the king could live. Incredible position. And it was in this time when he was a cupbearer to the king, he heard through his brother that the walls of Jerusalem had broken down. And when he heard it, we read in verse four of chapter one, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Fascinating, because the walls of a city in ancient history were a symbol of the nation's strength and glory. And he had heard not just that the walls had been broken down, but he had come to conclude that his people, God's people, were living in disgrace, that they were the ones who were living in a way which was uh, mocking, which was uh, in a position where the other nations would look in and they would mock and they would say, where is your God now? And God's glory and his reputation was at stake because of the walls and because of the way in which the nation of Israel had gone. And there's a point here, church, this morning, when we talk about this theme that whenever God wants to renew, whenever God wants to redeem, whenever God wants to reconcile, whenever God wants to restore something or a situation, He has to get hold of someone in order for them to feel the heart of God and get hold of the purposes of God so that they will actually move into what God wants them to move into. I say to my church, I said, hey, I don't believe in dry-eyed faith. I don't. I don't, I believe in a faith which goes beyond the flash of a pan of emotion, which goes beyond just a nice feeling or just a momentary thought. I believe in a faith that, that brings about a, a response to God that when He's touched us and when He's moved us, it will lead us into something of restoration for His name. 
I believe it. I believe it. And so God is looking for someone to build with him, someone to partner, whether it be an individual, a church, an organisation, a family, a husband and wife. God's always looking around. It says in Scripture, in Chronicles, it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Lord is always looking and he's looking and he's looking for someone to come and partner with to bring about and to restore and to reconcile and to redeem a situation that has been lost. Beautiful picture. And you see the person that God uses to restore and he used Nehemiah to come and build. And I love this idea of partnership says in Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labourers labour in vain. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. You see, we have this proclivity and this tendency to think that it's just on God. If God wants it done, He will just get it done. Yes, He will get it done, but He's always looking for someone to partner with. You see, without God, that thing won't be built. Without God, that thing won't be restored. Without God, that thing, that situation, that person won't be redeemed or reconciled. But here's the deal, with God on one hand, but He's looking for builders and labourers because it says that He's looking and it says that the builders labour in vain without God. Same with the watchman. God watches over the city, but he's looking for watchmen. He's looking to partner with someone. I love what was spoken about this morning about how God builds it in 1 Corinthians. It says, one plants, another waters, but God makes it grow. Beautiful. To be used as a partner with God in the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. It's a beautiful thing. But here's the question, how on earth does God use someone without first of all moving on their heart and affecting them? Kairos, how do you get a guy, a man or a woman to move in the prisons without first of all allowing them to feel the heart of Jesus first? You'll have nothing to say without that. And so God moved in the heart of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was so concerned about the fact that God's name was being dishonoured, that his people were living in disgrace and the reputation of God's name was at stake. You know, I imagine, this is just my thoughts, but I imagine that God, God is in heaven, God is spirit and Jesus is on the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you and for me and for the world right now. I love it. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He's at work. He never rests. He's always at work. But I love it. I just get the sense that God is saying, hey, through Jesus, I've given my people my word and I've given them my promises and I've given them my mind and my heart and my spirit And I've given them, uh, in fact, what I'll do, I'll throw in the blood of Jesus. In fact, he just gave up his son, Jesus. And it feels like God is just saying, hey, I'm just looking for someone to partner with. I've given you everything that you need. It's like God saying, well, get on with it, folks. Get on with my agenda and my mission. And whenever you involve yourself in the rebuilding and the redeeming and the restorative work of God, you are part of the build 
But first of all, to move, you must be moved. You must be moved. The second point that comes out of Nehemiah, just as I was preparing this, number two, when God wants to restore, there will be issues. Hold on. Now, I've just said issues to accommodate all of the complex, all the crazy, all the varied, all the confusing situations that come against God's people. Hold on. (laughs) When we get on with the task of restoring in partnership with God. Let me say it again. When God wants to restore, there's gonna be some issues. There's... I wanna bring good news and we'll finish off with good news, but (laughs) there's gonna be issues. And so the way that Nehemiah deals with them are important for us to consider. There's an important point here, even though it was God's will to restore and to rebuild his nation and the walls, you would have noticed that God didn't just take away the opposition. He left it there. I tend to think that if God says that something is gonna be done, it's just gonna be done without any hindrance or barrier or issue. But God seemed fit in his wisdom that he should allow the issues to be there. It's interesting, the enemy doesn't just allow us to waltz in and take back new territory spiritually. He doesn't just let go without a fight. He doesn't just release his grip on a marriage or a family or a teenager or a church. But he's very much in there trying to stop the restorative mission. And so the minute that you wake up, church, I'm glad there's the living spirit of Jesus amongst us this morning. But the moment that you wake up and throw off lethargy and you awaken to the promises of God and understand your identity in Christ and wanna step out in what God has called you to, let me just say this morning that there's gonna be opposition. You know it, you've heard it, you've experienced it. And so what the enemy tries to do, he tries to mess up the process and he tries to mess up the build and he allows these issues to come to us. Issues. I'm not sure what issue is going through your mind, but that's why I just said it's issues so that the Holy Spirit would take it and just apply it to where you're at. Nehemiah wanted to build the wall that would protect the people and the temple and Jerusalem. And we know that the walls in Jerusalem have spiritual meanings. It means the kingdom of God. It means the church. It means the believer's heart. Parallel concepts. And strangely, I'm not sure if you've seen this before and you know the story, but the enemy, I'm not sure if I'm even comfortable saying it, but as much as how a spirit or a demon wants to find a pig to go into when Jesus casts it out, what the enemy tries to do, he tries to use people to mess it up and to stop what God wants to do. And even though Nehemiah had favour from the king, the three men kept bobbing up, Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem. And maybe, if I can say humbly this morning, I've led a church for about 11, 12 years, I must admit 
there's been some times where I thought, Lord, maybe I'm even getting in the way and stopping what God wants to do here. Through my actions and attitude, through the way that I haven't responded and taken authority over what God wants. But the enemy loves to use people and that's what he did. And so when he got on with the God-ordained task, the opposition came mainly through these three men. And now there was a pattern, and church, I'd love to just share the pattern. And I know Dave's done a wonderful job and the other speakers. It's a wonderful pattern for us to understand. Here's the deal. When the enemy comes to oppose what God wants to do through us, what he does, there's a way he does it. And it always starts with the outside. Always starts with the outside. Opposition from the outside. And so what he does, he comes to us, And he did it to God's people. They were prone to attack. They were vulnerable. They were susceptible. And he used these three men and circumstances and issues to try and stop the walls from being built. Just, uh, it might be up there, but some of the ways in which the enemy comes in opposition to the restorative work The first one that came to mind is just a threat. (laughs) Just a threat. Sembalat and Tobiah and Geshem came and they threatened Nehemiah and God's people. They came to rebuke. They came and were used as vessels of the enemy to instill fear upon the people. Intimidation, allegations, mocking, And church, that's the pattern right through Scripture. And I would say to you this, that we need to be aware that the opposition comes from the outside. But I'd say this, humbly this morning propose to you and just get you to consider, make sure that that opposition doesn't come through us. It's so important because God's got great things. And we need to ensure and understand that this happens. It was the same with the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts. The church was birthed through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down. They're in one room, one accord. The place shook. The Holy Spirit came. It was like tongues of fire on their head. And John, uh, Acts 1.8 says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Beautiful, beautiful. Peter prayed, the place shook. Miracles and the favour of God was on them. And guess what happened? They went straight into opposition. They were dragged before the council and the Sanhedrin. They were, they were threatened. They were stoned. And we haven't experienced it, but that they actually died for their faith. And guess what? The church grew in power. And it says that the Lord added to their number daily. Awesome. And that's the pattern that we see. And then from that, if the enemy can't stop what God is doing from the outside, what he comes to do, he tries to bring down the ministry and the restorative process from the inside. <laughs> Ever played Jenga? One at a time. Ever seen the politicians? Spiritually speaking, a house divided against itself will not stand. 
And so what he does, he goes, I can't get him from the outside because the enemy knows and history tells us that the blood of martyrs is seed. (laughs) There's a strength that comes through. You study church history and whenever heat is on the church, the church grows. So what the enemy does, he says, what I'll do now, I'll move from the outside and I'll bring down from the inside and I'll throw in a few issues. Classic. It's fascinating. And he starts to do an inside job. And so a list on the screen, perhaps, these include passivity. This is how he stops the restorative process. Lethargy. It's just like you're just asleep and indifferent to the things of God. Compromise and sin. Standards. Morality, distractions. Let's, let's just rub on against that post for a moment, distractions. <laughs> oh, every time at about lunchtime when I'm trying to do something for God, my McDonald's app just pings at me. <laughs> and I just, I just can't, I just like 6.95 for two burgers, chips and a Coke. I'm just thinking, oh Lord, I can't go on until I've had a taste. My wife looks at me strange, but you know what, social media. At night, I'm telling you, I can subscribe to a newsletter in how mangoes are farmed in the Philippines. I can sign up to a music course. There was one guy who said that that within 30 minutes, where's our keyboard, that in 30 minutes, he guarantees that he can have you playing in church on a keyboard after signing up for his course. So I thought, beautiful, I'd love to go from the pulpit into that and break out in amazing grace. (laughs) Distract, you buy things you don't wanna buy. I end up buying a a one-wheeled bike. (laughs) You know those clown bikes? I woke up the next morning, I thought, what the heck am I doing? And I've done all those things from the mangoes to the bike. <laughs> my point is this, my point is this, that in all the distractions that go on, it's so often, I'm not saying anything against the clown bike, but here's the deal, with all the distractions that go on, it so often takes us away from the process and being involved in the mission that Christ wants us to be involved in. And so all these things can stop the work of God. And then we've got frustration. It says in Scripture, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble. They were there and they were building and it says, hey, there is so much rubble. And what they're effectively saying, they're saying, man, there's so much rubble. They took their eyes off the promise and they started to focus on the here and now because they were so frustrated and so fatigued and tired of the work that's before them. What did they do? It was the way in which the enemy was to stop them from pressing in and pressing on. And then we got some more, stage two. In fighting, divisions, discord, fatigue. In verse 11, it says, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them, put an end to the work. That was the threat. And then 
We've just got another way in which the enemy works from the inside. And I'll throw out a word. I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but one of those themes and concepts is just discouragement. Just discouragement. There's nothing like discouragement that comes to you when you're trying to get on with God's work. And it's this, because we have the promises of God in this hand and we believe for great things. Ephesians 3.20 says that, that He can do all things. It says that He comes to us now unto Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. We go, bless the Lord. And it feels right when you're in a worship service, but then you go out the door and you go home, back to your marriage, back to your community, and you think, Lord. There's a massive gap between the promises of God and the reality of the situation. Discouragement can come and rip the heart out of people where we double guess and it stops us from walking into what God wants. And it's not just for poor people, nor is it just for rich people. When you're driving to work, discouragement will come and sit right next to you. It will follow you home. On a weekend when you wake up, it's just this sort of discouragement, this thing, it's a tactic and a tool of what God, of, of how the enemy wants to stop the plans of God. All these things. And so the issue here was that they were short of money, they're mortgaging their fields, they were selling their children into slavery, they had money problems. And get this, Nehemiah had to sort out the issue because that whole movement of God was jeopardized and it was, had the ability to be brought down without a firing dart being sent in from the enemy. It was gonna be brought down from the inside. And church, I'd say to you, God's got great plans. I would say to you, deal with the issues. The issues of the heart. It says, above all else, guard your heart for out of it springs the wellspring of life. The bitterness, the unforgiveness, deal with the issues. The compromise, the the lethargic ways in which we find ourselves, deal with the issues because God's got great things for us. Keep pressing on. What about this one? Just with, you know, frustration, discouragement. When you go along, you think, Lord, oh man, I'm doing this work here. One, no one's appreciating it. (laughs) And then secondly, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm wasting my life. And this voice gets into your head and you think that what I'm doing is in vain until the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, anything done for the Lord is not done in vain. It will do something, it will achieve something. Hold on, press on and watch God move. And it's interesting to know that out of all the civilizations, you talk about the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Chinese, the Babylonians, you talk about Western civilization, all the civilizations have been brought down from the inside. They collapse because of the inside. They get strong when the opposition comes from the outside. It was the same in the book of Acts. After the opposition from the outside came, what happened? Morality, compromise, Ananias and Sapphira stealing the money. People weren't being looked after. Potential for discord and disunity. They had to put the deacons in place, Acts 6 and 7. Paul, the new kid on the block. Potholes everywhere. But they worked it out. 
and came through it by the grace of God. Church, I wanna just speak from the heart this morning. If you've been in church for any length of time, you may have experienced, you may have experienced, you may have heard of experiences that go on in churches. When I was a young boy, I used to sit there in my local Baptist church in the Riverina and I was on the old overhead projector and I used to stress out because I think, did he say that? Did he not say that? And people would look and it wasn't that you could sit at the back there like Joe is this morning. It's uh, sitting down the front, everyone's watching you. But those seeds were planted and God got hold of my heart as a young boy and I felt the call of God. And as a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, the only thing that was on my mind was just about whether you're going to heaven or hell. And then it moved, not with um, releasing that, but certainly moved from that and it moved into, I wanna see people grow in their faith. And then I wanna see people set free. John 8, 31, it says, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I got into ministry just for those three reasons. I just thought, that's it. That's all I wanna do. Encourage people in their faith. Tell them about Jesus. Encourage them. See them live a life worthy of the calling. And wow, oh wow. After a few years in ministry, I realised there's a bit more to it. (laughs) I've come to realise that when you're trying to get on with God's work, there are potholes everywhere that you have to work through and you have to work out. And I wasn't prepared for it. I went to the Lord one day and and Jeremiah, used the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he was the weeping prophet, always complaining and lamenting. He went to the Lord and I did. And I said, Lord, you've deceived me. I said, you've tricked me because you've called me to this church (sighs) and you've tricked me. (laughs) And the Lord, he gave a response from Jeremiah, kept reading and it said, as the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, the word came to me and the word was, if you've run with men and they've worn you out, how are you gonna keep up with the horses? I said, thanks, Lord. I'm no theologian, but I can understand that, mm, has the potential to get a lot worse. (laughs) I didn't understand some things. I didn't know that there were so many controversial issues that could split a church. I didn't know. I thought we just all love each other. You see, there are are hundreds of reasons to divide, yeah? And, And probably good reasons in the natural. But spiritually speaking, there's just one good, profound reason why we should stay together, and it's because of Christ and the glory of His name. That's the reason. And so, after a few years into ministry, I didn't know that one needed so much intentionality and encouragement just to stay on track. I didn't know that. I didn't know that someone could write an anonymous letter against me, accusing me with false allegations from A, B, C, and D. I I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh, the Lord is good. I didn't know that people could be so vicious in a church. I thought people would have looked to Matthew 18 where it says, if you have anything against your brother, you should go to that person and work it out. I didn't know that people skip that and go straight there, not to work it out. I, I didn't know. 
Ways in which the enemy wants to stop. I didn't know fear. I've got a school teaching background and, and I was good with year eights and year nines and tens when they start to roll their eyes and give you a bit of, I, so I can do that. But I didn't know fear until I jumped into the ministry. I didn't know doubt until I got hold of and started to walk into what God had for me. I didn't know it. Hundreds of ways in which the enemy wants to stop that which God has said and Psalm 55 speaks to it. It says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe was rising up against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. I was somewhat prepared, somewhat, I say humbly, for the outside coming in because it's a, even a cursory glance and reading of scripture tells us that no one is above his master. If they hated me, Jesus speaking, they're also gonna hate you. Uh, in Revelation it talks about don't be coward, stand strong, don't be a jellyfish, get a backbone and stand strong. Just a cursory read tells us that, but I wasn't prepared for the inside. With people that you once shared close fellowship with, all attempts to stop what God is doing. And here, I just wanna say this, here's the deal, Hills Baptist, you don't want any inside job of the enemy being done here to stop what God wants to do. When you etch forward, when you etch forward in faith, there's always gonna be a sembalit in your ear, <laughs> threatening you, bringing doubt, fear, there's always gonna be something, a situation, an issue that wants to stop what God is doing through us. I'd say to you, don't be affected by him. And I'd say, don't be that person. Don't be a Sam Ballot for someone else. The final point is a wonderful point. When God wants to restore, he will finish it. He will finish it. At the end of chapter six, we read in verse 15, the great words, verse five, it says, so on October the 2nd, the war was finished just 52 days after we had begun. They had worked night and day. They had a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. They were prepared. And in 52 days, less than two months, the war was complete. It was finished. It was finished. It is finished. And it's almost the time when the cymbals and the drums and the trumpets start coming out. I think Brother Dave is gonna take you into that space in a few weeks. But just hearing that the walls had been finished speaks so much about the faithfulness of God. It speaks about His goodness. It speaks about the fact that he works miracles, 52 days, incredible, against the odds. It speaks to the fact that he will do it again. Oh Lord, drop some faith in this place this morning. He will do it again. We will see the goodness of God. We will walk in his promises. He darn will, or well, will respond and restore and redeem and reconcile 
because that's who our God is. He will. The walls were finished. The walls were finished. And I just wanna declare to you today that you will see the faithfulness of God come through. And here, if we were to work through it, number one, you have to be moved. You've got the heart, something has moved you. Number two, you're working through the issues. You're coming through it, you're persevering. You're working it out, you're enduring. You're pressing on, you're holding on, you're there. And the third one is that you will see God come to restore and redeem that situation. You will. Goes on, verse 16 of the sixth chapter, when all the enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations were, they were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. God will show that even when there are issues, He will see it through. He's a covenant-making, promise-keeping God. And if this is what you get out of this morning's message, praise God on Wednesday morning when you wake up and the words come to you that God is a covenant-making, promise-keeping God, praise God. It reminds me of Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. It goes on. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou with me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. And it's like the sheepdogs, surely goodness, like two sheepdogs, surely goodness and mercy will keep chasing after the sheep. (laughs) I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful. And God was more interested and is more interested than the physical We've built a facility and we had to be careful not to worship the facility. We had to think, hey, God has put us in this facility to start seeing the restoration of people. And then after that, we read in the chapters after that the people for a quarter of the day, you read it, for a quarter of the day, they stood up to hear the word of the Lord. And then another quarter of the day, they confessed their sins and the sins of their forefathers. God was interested beyond that of the physical and the tangible. And He was bringing about a people who would respond spiritually and receive the joy that God was gonna bring. He's interested. Physical's good, spiritual's better. But church, I think we should expect God to come through. I, I really do. I say to my church, I said every Sunday, every opportunity that we get, we should stand on our tippy toes with anticipation, like Zacchaeus in the tree, like blind Bartimaeus on the road, like the people in the upper. We should be expecting God to do great things. And then we read in the seventh chapter, after the walls had been built, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed which speaks about, it's like the Lord saying, hey, don't let the very thing get back in to bring you to chaos and dysfunction again. Put worship and praise and the priests who minister, who can discern what's right and wrong. They, let them be the gatekeepers. I've brought you too far to go back into what brought death and destruction and chaos to your life. Beautiful. I was thinking about how I could land the message. I was thinking, Lord, how do I land the message? I can't go past the third point 
When God wants to restore, He will finish it. He will finish it. No doubt you've been looking at typology where in every character in the Old Testament, we've got types of. Moses was a type of Christ. Joseph was a type of Christ. Nehemiah is a type of Christ. Jesus is the antitype. He's the fulfilment of the shadow that once was. It may be up behind me, we see the parallel spiritual and the physical linked with Nehemiah and Jesus both left the throne room and gave up comforts to serve the king. Both were accused falsely and had allegations made against them. Both were patriotic. Nehemiah had great love for the Jewish community while Jesus loved the world. Both cleansed the temple for his people. Both wept over Jerusalem. Both were prayerful. Both of them faced opposition and threats in their lives. Both acknowledged and kept the festivals and feasts. Both condemned social evils. Both were compassionate to his people. They had concern for the needy. Both were reformers. Nehemiah instituted social, economic and religious reforms while Jesus instituted the new covenant. But I go back to the verse in 15, uh, uh, sorry, um, in verse five on this October the 2nd, the war was finished just 52 days after we had begun. Here's the deal. I love it. <laughs> Nehemiah saw that the war was finished and Jesus saw that anything that gets in the way of our walk with God, our relationship with God, condemnation, guilt, shame, on the cross in chapter 14 of St. John's Gospel, when he had tasted the wine, he yelled out after, and before, after the threats and the intimidation and the mockings, he yelled out, it is finished. He said, it is finished. It speaks of anything that gets in the way, the condemnation that comes and is opposed to us, the law that's opposed to us. He took it away, Colossians says, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And he says, it is finished. It's finished. <laughs> Nehemiah finished the war, but Jesus finished his work so that we can be made right with him. Awesome. Both saw the work finished. Don't be mistaken, he wasn't saying that he was finished. <laughs> He's probably saying, I'm just getting started. <laughs> Don't think for a moment that his life is finished because he was the one who stood before the authorities of the day and they questioned about his kingdom and his authority. And he says, hey, don't be mistaken. I, it's not you who's putting me to the cross. He says, I've got the authority to lay my life down and to raise it up. He said, what is finished? What is finished is the condemnation that we deserve because of our sin. Eternal damnation, that's finished for those who put their confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. That's finished. For those people who are living in shame and guilt and all these things that get in the way of our relationship, sweet communion with God, Jesus said, it's all finished now because of my completed work at Calvary. And so that might be you this morning as the musicians come, that might be you. And I'll say to you, don't leave today without being reconciled to God. Don't leave today without being renewed and restored or reborn. 
Don't leave today without being redeemed by the blood of Christ. That might be you. That another person in the congregation, it might be such that you're going through issues. And the enemy is coming against you and it's stopping you from getting on with kingdom work. I'd love to pray for you. The ministry team would love to pray for you. And there'll be a word in season that will come that the Holy Spirit will use to usher you and etch you forward. You might be here this morning going all right and I would say, hey, God bless you. Keep up the good work. He promises great and marvellous things. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord has in store for those who love Him. He's a wonderful God. He's beautiful beyond description, as the old song goes, too marvellous for words. And so this morning, church, as we've heard God's Word, I pray and trust that God will use it, the engrafted Word of God, that as you've heard it, it will become part of us, like a skin graft. (laughs) And that we would bear fruit for the honour and the sake and the glory of His name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your encouraging Word to us, knowing that You will complete it. You will finish it. You have finished it. (laughs) And Lord, thank You that You give us insight in how we can carry on the work that You've given to us. So Lord, stir that person today. Move that person's heart today. Awaken them to the realities of Your Gospel, the light of Your glorious Gospel. Let them know that all of heaven and the kingdom of God have their back. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we've been invited into your story. And the only response that we have today is of praise and worship and honour. We thank you. Bless this church in this season and the season to come. Let there be great fruit that comes from it. As the waters cover the sea, may your glory extend throughout the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.